Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Sunday school service here at Faith Baptist Church. We are continuing with our series and why we believe what we believe. Now, can anybody from memory tell me what we started last week? What series we started last week? Why we believe what we believe about... Oh, that fills me with hope. <laughs> uh, oh, you guys weren't here. That's right. It was not. That was the one we just finished, though. So that's that's still, I'm glad you remember that. What we've done, was it God the Father? That was the very first, first one, one we right. did. Yeah. I was going to say, we did God the Father. We're going we the wrong direction. Jesus. Let's go back this way. <laughs> we did the Father, we did the Son, the Holy Spirit. The Bible. Bible. Right. Why we believe what we believe about the Bible. If you haven't watched that, please watch that. Go back and check it out because I went through why we believe the Bible, why we, uh, the history of the Bible, how it came to be, and why we're King James only here. And the reasons for all of that. Right. Why it is the superior version for the, for the English speaking people. And uh, if you haven't watched it, please, please go watch it. It's very important. Um, so this week, uh, we're continuing on with why we believe what we believe about the Bible. And we're going to kind of let the Bible speak for itself a little more than we did last week. Uh, last week, we did quote some scripture, but it was mostly a historical lesson about the Bible. You know, because that is super important, and that is what, if you go to like these Christian bookstores, or you talk to somebody who goes to a different kind of church than us, they're going to tell you things about the history of the Bible. And uh, I remember when I worked at Lifeway, one of the things that they wanted us to, to, to say to people is that the King James and the ESV come from, uh, are, are similar translations. And they're not. And uh, they're very much not for, for many different reasons. I'm going to, I mean, for one... The, the King James, you might not know this, is not written in Old English. A lot of people think it's written in Old English. It's not. It's written in Middle English, which is the time our language was at its absolute richest. You ever read Shakespeare? That's Old English. And you can tell there's a lot of overcomplication in some of those words. Like the, there's, They said that Shakespeare had a working vocabulary of, I don't remember how many thousand words. That's because he spoke and, and writ, wrote, uh, wrote bleh, in Old English. Right, Middle English, a little more condensed, but before we develop these literary nuggets like YOLO and swag, you know. Uh, so, right, the pinnacle of communication, right. Uh, so there is that, and also we got into the, manu the original manuscripts, uh, the TR versus the other ones, and the TR, Texas Receptus, is where ours come from. We get into all of that in last week's lesson, and uh, we talk about the manuscript the King James comes from and why it was superior to the other ones, where the other ones were found. One was found uh, thrown away in a monastery at the bottom of Mount Sinai. That's the one that a lot of these more modern translations come from. Also, the council that they used that King James himself uh, established and the careful you know, caretaking over the course of six years that they used to put together this Bible over six different councils at Cambridge and all these different uh, high-end universities. And it was languages that they spoke in 1611. And nowadays, uh, Koine Greek is a dead language. And the version of Hebrew we have today is probably not exactly like it was back in their day because Hebrew died. It was a dead language and then it was revived again. 
So, and we go through all of that in a lot greater detail in that lesson. So go check it out. Uh, I believe it's on the podcast. It should be on our podcast. If you're looking for something to listen to while you're working out or on your way to work or something this week, just give that a listen. Uh, it explains why we believe what we believe about one of the most... That's one of the questions people have the most, right? Is what version, why that version? And that we cover that really greatly there. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter number 3. And we're going to look at a few scriptures. Uh, Timothy was uh, under the, the tutelage of Paul. Uh, Timothy learned from the Apostle Paul... And uh, this is a letter written by Paul to Timothy, who he thought of as his own son in the faith, right? Like a spiritual son to him. And so Timothy, after having learned from Paul, went off to pastor the church at Ephesus. And so as he's heading that direction, uh, the apostle Paul wrote 1 Timothy to him, gave him the qualifications of a bishop or pastor that a lot of people use to this day, that we should because it's in the Bible. Um, and uh, the, the qualifications for a deacon and so forth in there. When well, Second Timothy, uh, he, his second letter to, from Paul to Timothy, he talks about in chapter 3, uh, verse 15, he says about Timothy that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. Right, so he's talking about Timothy and he's talking about his knowledge of the Bible and that he's known the scriptures or what they had of the scriptures up to this point from the time of his childhood. Right, and that's that's a fantastic base to have, to base your Christianity off of. That's why we have children's ministries here. Every church I've worked at, I've, I've placed emphasis on children's ministries. Uh, that is one of the most important things we can do, because we won't be here forever. We want to leave behind somebody who will pick up the torch and carry it on after we're not here anymore. And that is what Paul did. He, he invested in the next generation in Timothy. We teach them about Noah's Ark. We teach them about creation. We teach them about all the important things in the Bible so when they get up older, they have a basis to grow off of. And that's what they did for Timothy. So the Bible isn't just for adults. right? It's for children too. And it makes me think of way back in the scriptures when the Lord is teaching and he has a bunch of children start to flock around him and it starts to interrupt Jesus sermon and so the apostles come along and they shoo the children away Jesus is busy don't bother him right now and Jesus tells them suffer the little children and forbid them not to come unto me right so he tells them to do the opposite instead of telling them to leave you should compel them to come in oh you really need to come to church please come to church we used to hand out candy to kids so they come to church we'd have prizes and special events to get them to come to church and people say should you really be bribing children to come to church yes you absolutely should bribe them with whatever you have pay them if you can you'd say isn't that a little wrong the first ever sunday school started by a guy named robert rakes who used to pay his kids a nickel each one of them a nickel every sunday to come to sunday school and they would learn about math and they would learn about reading, but most importantly, they would learn about the Lord and His Word. So I have no problem bribing kids because I didn't invent that wheel. The Bible is for the kids as much as it is for us. And you know, I kind of hope that we keep our childlike faith about the Bible because kids get so excited about these things. You know, they hear a story about a little boy taking out a giant. And they're like, wow. 
you know, we get so familiar with these stories, we just kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever, you know? So it's, it's really important to emphasize that thing about kids in the Bible. Thank you. Really and truly, it's, I know, it's the kids that bring the lifeblood into the church. You ever seen a church that doesn't have any kids in it? It's really kind of a dead church. And any church that has kids running around, being loud, making messes, that's a church that's got a lot of life in it. You know? So there's a big difference there. Uh, but as he's talking about Timothy, he says, uh, talking about the Holy Scriptures, he says, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. Right? So there's, there's no question that the Bible can make you wise. Uh, we know... We've talked about in Sunday school before about the wisest king that ever lived. What was his name? Solomon. Solomon. King Solomon wrote a book, uh, and most of it was written by him, uh, called Proverbs, wherein he shares his wisdom uh, with his son and by uh, translation us as well. One of the wisest kings that ever lived, and he wrote a lot of it down for us. Uh, you can gain a lot of wisdom from the scriptures, but the most important kind of wisdom you gain from the scriptures is the kind that makes you wise unto salvation, right? That's the first step, right? You can't get anything else from this book until you get that first. That's why a lot of the world, they go to read this book and it doesn't make sense to them, it confuses them. You hear a lot of people who don't believe the Bible say, that's great, it's a, it's a well-written uh, piece of literature, but there are a lot of books out there. It's because they don't get it, they can't see it. They haven't gotten the first step yet. And that's important. Wise unto salvation. It should make us wise not just to receive salvation, but it should also make us wise to give the gospel to people as well. I want everybody to have one of these on them as you go throughout the week. Now, I won't say who it was. It's okay. But this week, uh, we had a, somebody who had the opportunity to give the gospel and Personally, I think they did a very good job from what they told me. Uh, but they, they didn't know the Romans road, didn't have it memorized, like a lot of people. And uh, was looking around trying to find. She was like, it, I, I looked on the Facebook page, looked on the website, I couldn't find it. I'm like, well, we have these little pieces of paper I've been asking you to pick up every week. And it's got on the back of it. The, the front of it has our logo, it's got our website, but the most literature you're going to find on these things is the gospel. That's on the back, and it's the purpose of these tracks. It's not a whole lot of pushing forward the business of the church. It's about getting people saved. So keep one of these in your pocket. And it wasn't like she was out knocking doors or anything. Just a friend happened to be asking questions, right? That's the way it should be. That is the way the Lord intended soul winning to work, is the people in your life that you have an opportunity to witness to. That is the most biblical soul winning you can do and you want to be ready for that so if you don't have this memorized grab one of these off the back table and be able to to read it off when you get the opportunity don't kick down a door you know but let the lord open that door for you and uh, you never know what will happen somebody may get saved somebody may escape uh, the terrible place of hell and have a home in heaven simply because you decided to keep one of these in your back pocket so it makes us wise unto salvation, and that's the important part about Scripture. And it is good to have one of these, but I would love it if we could know how to share the gospel just from our minds. You know, 
And I think if you're not there, there's nothing wrong with having one of these. It's fine. But I would, it's my prayer and hope that we grow to the point where we can just share these verses with people because we know them by heart. I think that's the way the Lord would have us to do it. Uh, you know, maybe not right at first, but at some point. Making us wise unto salvation and going into detail about salvation and what it is. He says here, through faith. Right? That's what salvation is. Wise unto salvation through faith. It's not through baptism. It's not through church membership. It's not through good works. Uh, it's just through the faith, and specifically the faith which is in Christ Jesus. There at the end of verse 15. And so there's no mistake about what we mean when we say wise unto salvation. And then verse 16 is where we really start getting into uh, the nitty-gritty of Scripture. He says, Thank you. He says in verse 16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All right. If you don't have that verse marked in your Bible, I would encourage you, if you mark your Bible, to mark that verse. It's uh, 2 Timothy 3, and it's verse 16. And it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And that kind of kills the idea that some of the Bible is right and some of the Bible is wrong, right? It, it kind of kills the idea that, well, this was really the Apostle Paul's sort of sexist attitude toward women, and we don't really adhere to that because we don't think God actually stood. You can't, you can't say that if all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, there are scriptures that people misuse and misrepresent to push their own agendas, and you have to have the context to go with that. But all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And I'll give you an example of somebody sort of twisting scripture. We've talked about this in our Job series, if you've been following along in that. Job's friends will say things that we know in those verses are not true. And because the Lord made a point to say several times in the first two chapters, Job was perfect and upright, feared God, eschewed evil. He did nothing wrong. He said that several times. And his friends continue on talking about how uh, only bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. And if you take one of those verses out of context, you can maybe try to force the idea that, uh, that karma is a Christian concept and that you get what you deserve in this life. And unfortunately, you don't. I mean, I wish we did. I wish it worked like that, but it just doesn't. You know, bad things happen to good people. That's what the whole book of Job is about. Uh, you know, and, and so you can take verses like that and you can misuse them in ways they weren't intended. But if you take the context of the passage, you can say, oh, okay, that's not what that meant at all. So, but other than that, like, if you're getting the context, whether you agree with it or not, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's us that needs to align ourselves with the Bible instead of trying to superimpose the Bible on our way of thinking, right? And we need to make sure we get that emphasis right. This book is right, and this book is always right. And if we don't align with this book, we're the ones that are wrong, and we need to change. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. There is at no point you read this book and it does not benefit you in some way. There is no chapter in this book you don't read and it doesn't benefit you in some way. And I've heard some people say, well, brother, that's not always necessarily true. I mean, if you go read some of those lists of names in the book of Numbers, that's not exactly going to be profitable, is it? 
I had a, a youth pastor. I'll just go ahead and tell you. It was uh, Brother Brian May from Bible Baptist Church. And I remember, I will never forget this lesson because it taught me an important lesson about the Bible. That is one of the most, if you don't know how to study it, it's one of the most boring chapters you will ever read until you start translating those names. You ever looked up the names of those? I, can, I know you didn't because I never did. He did. And I learned an important lesson that day. Those names go through the entire story of the Bible. Creation, the flood, the whole thing right there in Numbers. So that boring book that's a list of names, it's not so boring after all. There is no useless chapter in the Bible. It's all there for a reason. We might not be smart enough to figure it out, but it's there for a reason. And it gives us something to strive for. I've known men who have been saved, been in the ministry for twice as long as I've been alive. Uh, I think Dr. Barber's been in the ministry, I want to say 60 years, something like that. It, it's, it's certainly more, if anything, it's not less. And, uh, you know, to see that man and his passion for the Bible, he's never gotten bored with it in 60 years. And that's just his time in the ministry. That's not before, as him just being a young man with, I'm sure, what was a love for Scripture. You know, so there is plenty to sink your teeth into for an entire lifetime with this book. It is profitable. Every time you read this book, it is profitable. And it's profitable for these different things they list. Firstly, for doctrine. Now, let me go ahead and tell you, for some people, the word doctrine is a scary word. And for some people, the word doctrine is an offensive word. And honestly, I can understand why you might think that. I do. Because in some churches, they use the word doctrine when they mean a rule that I want to superimpose on people. Right? This is the doctrine of this church. Right? And it'll be like, you know, uh, boys and girls can't sit together and, and, and different ridiculous things like that. That's not doctrine. That's not what that is. What doctrine is, and I've taught this before, is just what we believe to be true about God and His Word. That's what doctrine is. Right? It's not these different ridiculous political maneuvers some churches do that split their church or that, you know, divide one group of people from another. That's not doctrine. It's just what the Bible teaches to be true about the Lord and about everything else that applies. And so... If we get our doctrine from the Bible, right, then it's not anything that's going to cause division, right? Because what we can do is we can take this book and we can stand on it together. And we can agree this is what we stand on. It's not going to be anything that, well, we believe this because my preacher did it and his preacher did it, so we do it. We don't do anything like that here. What we believe, we believe because it's in the Bible. Because if we stood on something for any other reason, then that would cause division, wouldn't it? But if our doctrine comes from the Bible, then we can agree on it together because that comes from the Lord. It's profitable for doctrine. And doctrine should be something that unites us, not something that divides us. And you know, we've gotten to a place in, in our world today where we can't disagree with one another. And that's insane to me. Even within our own denomination, uh, it is commonly accepted that if you don't agree with somebody else's doctrine, you don't be in the same room as them, you don't talk with them, you don't do any sort of special events together, 
you don't you don't do anything the college that i graduated from no longer exists because the independent baptist you know pre-trib king james only independent baptist that wanted to sell a piece of land couldn't get along with the independent fundamental conservative king james only you know pre-trib christians that didn't want to sell a piece of land and they split they closed the the form of the school that I exi- doesn't exist anymore, and they never spoke to each other again. And that is the opposite of what the Lord wants. Our doctrine should unite us, shouldn't divide us, and we should get used to people that don't agree with us. Don't be appalled when somebody thinks differently than you. There's all kinds of people out there. Our doctrine should be something we get from Scripture and it should be profitable for us. For doctrine and reproof. Hey, here's something that's not fun. Reproof is something nobody likes. When you're at work and the boss calls you in because you've made a mistake, anybody like, boy, (laughs) we get to get scolded by the boss. Nobody likes that. I can tell you a a really funny story, another funny story about uh, Brother Brian May, who I mentioned earlier. I don't know how they do it now, but used to, they would uh, have like a mowing schedule. Like uh, one man, he had the big tractor and he would mow the biggest part of the yard. Well, they would take turns mowing the other part of the yard that was closer to the church. And uh, it was Brother Brian May's turn to mow one part of the yard and he finished mowing his bit and just for fun, he went into the part that the other man mows and mowed a big bee into the yard for Brian. And then went and parked it and left and went home thinking the guy would see it, think it was funny and mow it out and be done. Well, they get to church the ne- that next day and uh, the pastor's like, hey, Brother Brian, can I see you in my office for a minute? And you know the tone, right? Like, you know you're not going into his office for him to, you know, hand you a piece of candy. It's not going to be something fun when it's that tone. And uh, evidently, the other man who was going to mow the bigger part got sick the day before and didn't mow the bee out of the yard. So as everybody was coming into church, there's a gigantic bee mowed into the, the grass. Yeah, for Bible Baptist could have been. Uh, but uh, he was honest and he, he said, no, it was, it was for Brian. And I thought it was going to get mowed and I apologize. But, you know, when you get called into the office, like it's like the principal's office. It's never like we're giving you a special award, right? It's always like you did this thing you weren't supposed to do. Reproof is never something we enjoy, but it is something that benefits us, right? When we make a mistake and we have what my father calls in a emotional, a significant emotional event, right? We learn from it. It was humiliating. It was horrifying. I never forgot it, right? So reproof can be helpful. It can be profitable. Certainly not fun, but it can be good for us, right? That is those times in church when the preacher mentions something that applies to you and you don't care for it, right? And, and, and I've been there. There's a part of your brain that goes, is he saying that to me specifically? Does he know something that I didn't think he knew? Is he talking to me? Because we don't care for that reproof, right? But it, it is helpful for us. For reproof, 
for correction. Now, correction is a little bit different than reproof. It's not quite the scolding nature that reproof is. But correction is, I've been thinking this way for a long time, and I learned that that was wrong. Now I'm learning to think the proper way. I had a Bible teacher that referred it to me like this. Uh, a lot of you younger guys are not going to know what this is like, but anybody remember like tuning a radio? Right? Like nowadays in your cars, especially if you want a certain channel, you just hit the button and it goes right for you to the next channel on the frequency. But when you've got like a radio, you have to turn the dial and find that radio, that, that radio station. Right? And that is kind of what studying the Bible is. And theology is. It's trying to fine-tune our way of thinking into God's frequency. And like you can get the radio station, but if you're not on just the right bandwidth, it's going to be like, it's going to, it's going to sound muffled, or there's going to be some white noise. You know, you can hear it, but it's not quite right, right? Yeah, there's like, there's like a guy talking while there's a mariachi band going on in the background, you know? Today in Tucson, Arizona, da 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 you know? And you're like, that that can't be what they meant to do. I gotta I mean if it is, it's my new favorite radio station, but I don't think that's what they're doing. Uh, that is correction, right? We're fine-tuning constantly what we believe about God to what's true. Right? Because a lot of people think religion is a matter of opinion, and I suppose religion is. But Christianity isn't a matter of opinion. It's a matter of biblical fact, right? And we talked about that a second ago. If it's in the Bible, it's true. So it's a matter of us being humble enough to admit when we're wrong. And that is something no human being enjoys. Nobody likes to go, oh, I guess I was wrong. I'll start thinking differently now. We like to re retain our pride. You know, we like to say, oh, well, you know, I, really I knew that. Or, uh, you know, I, I just don't see it that way. And it's like, really? Because you just watched it happen. Yeah, I know, but I just don't see it that way. It's like, I don't think that's how eyeballs work, but okay. So we got to learn to be a little humble and accept when we're wrong and change. And that is a big part of growing as a Christian. Yeah. Uh, so for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. So up to this point, it's been all about like correcting the wrong things, right? But instruction in righteousness is guiding us along the right path. So it is a lot of getting us off the wrong path. Because it is hard sometimes to stay right on that straight and narrow. I had a guy I was talking to one time in Bible college, and he would say, "Well, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna err, I'd rather err more toward the conservative side than more toward the liberal side." And I'd say, "Yeah, but brother, it's still erring. It doesn't matter which direction you failed God in. You failed God, you know, left or right. It doesn't matter. You've still fallen off the path." And it is a hard one to keep on all the time, but it is something that we ought to continuously work on. Is that, and he, he gives us that instruction in righteousness. And if you will allow yourself to hear it, the Holy Spirit will speak to you within your heart and tell you the right and wrong thing. Uh, some people have a conscience, and we have something even stronger than a conscience. If you'll listen to the Holy Spirit as a Christian, then he will guide you. He will give you instruction in righteousness. And then verse 17, after all of these things that are profitable for us, it says in verse 17, it says that the man of God and any man who is a Christian is a man of God. Right? So that's not just for preachers. You've heard preachers referred to as the man of God, and that certainly applies. But this applies to any Christian. Right? It's not just men. Uh, in Middle English, like we were talking about, the male 
pronoun was the default narrative, right? So when it says the man or he, it's, thank you, it's uh, just the default. It doesn't just mean this only applies to guys. Ladies, you're in there too. That's just, uh, they did chose not to use neutral pronouns back then. So that the man of God may be perfect. And again, the word perfect here doesn't mean without sin. It means uncorrupted. Right? Because we talked about that with Job, right? On Wednesday nights, we said Job was perfect. It means that he was uncorrupted by the sinful world around him. At that point in time, where I believe Job falls, uh, God's people weren't following God's will. And he was one of the few men left that was actually trying to pursue the will of the Lord in his life. So it means that you're uncorrupted by the sinfulness around you. Uh, so that the man of God may be perfect. And then it, it uses a word picture here that I really like. And it says, Throughly furnished unto all good works. So it, it, it's like this. If you know of something good to do, and you choose not to do it, you're like an, uh, uh, an incompleted house. The Bible often refers to us as a building, a structure, right? That Jesus Christ is the foundation. He's the cornerstone where they lay the rest of the foundation. It talks about building up a, a framework and a structure upon us. Many times the, uh, in the book of Peter, he refers to us as a, a, the house the housing uh, of God, where he dwells, and so forth. Um, so we're like a, a building, like a house, like we're sitting in here. And imagine a building. It's a nice building. It's a big building. It, it's got the best flooring. It's got beautiful colors on the walls. It's got everything's just so, except it's completely empty. Would you want to live in it? No, you wouldn't want to live in that. You'd want to live in a house that has furniture. Or you would go and buy furniture for the house and bring it in. You wouldn't walk into the house, see it completely empty, and say, all right, I'll take it. I'll just grab a blanket and a pillow and sleep right here on the floor. This will be my existence now. You wouldn't do that. I remember when uh, we first moved into our house on Sealy. Like before we had a chance to move in or do anything, uh, our first meal, you remember this, Josh? Mm -hmm. We went to the grill, back when the grill was still, you OG Justinites will remember the grill. It was the literal only restaurant in town. It was like, it was a grill slash gas station, right. yeah. And you would go in and you would order those really greasy cheese fries, yeah. yeah. And yeah, we're, we're getting the, the, the mouth salivating now, huh? And uh, you would, uh, we went, we bought food from the grill, and we came in, there was nothing in the house, so we sat on the floor and ate food from the grill as our first meal there. And that was a special moment, but you know what we did eventually? We brought in a table and ate at that. <laughs> you know? Because at some point, you don't want to sit on the floor and eat dinner, right? And that's the way we are spiritually. When you're first getting started as a Christian, as a young Christian, you're not going to be fully furnished. You've got things that need to be added, but at some point, it's a little weird when you're sitting Indian-style eating your dinner on the floor. Even people who sit and eat Indian-style as their culture have a little table they eat at. There's furnishings. It'd be weird if you, you know, had a bedroom with no bed. That would be odd. Good works are the furnishings of a Christian. If you have the opportunity to be charitable and you don't, you are not fully furnished. 
if you see a brother or sister in need and you say to them, I hope all is well with you, I hope it all works out, and you go home and don't help them when you could have, you're not fully furnished. And the book of 1 John says, how dwelleth the love of God in you? We ought to be fully furnished unto all good works. And how do we do that? We do that by studying the Bible and letting the Lord instruct us in righteousness. He tells us what we ought to do. If a man compel you to go a mile with him, you go with him twain. Back in the day, that was what it was. Uh, if a Roman soldier compelled you to carry his armor, you, it was, you were legally obligated to go one mile with that Roman soldier carrying his armor. And Jesus was saying there, don't just go the one mile you're required to go. Go another mile beyond that. Uh, you know, he's saying don't just do the bare minimum. Don't just scrape your 10% right off the top and that's all you have to do. And I understand that that's more than what some people can do. And I totally understand that. But if you are capable of doing more and you don't, you are not fully furnished. You're missing a dining room table. You're missing a, a bed in your bedroom. You're missing something important. You don't have a TV in your living room. Who doesn't have a TV in their living room? Right? That's not such a weird thing nowadays. But I'm, I'm watching TV shows. And uh, back then it was weird. You know? Because we all have computers nowadays and we stream everything and it's a little different. But, you know, back then people didn't have... Some people didn't have TVs at all in their whole house, and today some people still don't. Uh, but that that seems it's like, what do you, you know, you, you talk to your family? What do you do? Like that? <laughs> yeah. You must get along. I don't know. What is that like? I don't understand. What? But you're not fully furnished unless you are fully furnished and do all good works. I want to look over now. Let's turn to the book of 2 Peter, chapter 1. There's a few verses in 2 Peter I want to take a look at before we're done this morning. And while we're turning there, I want to remind everybody that today is Sunday, Sunday. So you guys online, you still have about half an hour to throw some PJs on and get over here. I don't care what you, so long as you're wearing clothes, I don't care. You know, you can get over here. We got 2 Peter, chapter 1. We got six tubs of ice cream. I doubt we'll eat it all. We've got more toppings. I bought one, two, three, four, five different types of Hershey syrup. Uh, regular Hershey syrup, dark, uh, dark chocolate syrup. Is it six? Yeah. I got the regular, I got dark chocolate, I got sugar-free for our diabetic friends. I got um, caramel. I got strawberry. And there's like a hard shell chocolate over there that hardens like the dilly bar. We got cherries, we got nuts, we got cookie crumbles, we got gummy bears, we got M&Ms. Every kind of sprinkle you can think of, Josh. I saw Did you see them? It's exciting, right? It's very exciting. Yeah. So, not too late. You guys get over here. Jimmy's. Jimmy's. Yeah, that's, that's what they call them up north. They call them Jimmy's. In Texas. I know it, it broke broke y'all's brains the other day. I said Jimmy's. You guys were like, "What are Jimmy's? I don't, is that a person that's coming? I don't understand. Does, does, he, just, like does he like sprinkles? I don't understand. What is that? It's just sprinkles. What was that? It was on. Uh, oh, I don't remember what it was. Anyway, Second Peter chapter one. Um, 
the Apostle Peter is instructing them uh, that have obtained a light precious faith, it says there in verse 1. So, just a general epistle to Christians as a whole. And he's instructing them, uh, verse 6, add to knowledge temperance, to temperance patience, and so forth. And as he's going, uh, he says... In verse 13, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, um, that's to say his body, is what he's referring to, as long as he's alive, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. So in other words, these may not be ground-breaking things he's saying, but it is important to be reminded of these things every so often. Because if we're not reminded of things, then we'll go off and just do whatever we think is best. And we need to be reminded that God has a word to say on the matter. Uh, he says in verse 14, Knowing that I shortly must put off this tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. And then he says in verse 15, Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. All right. so what we're talking about here is before we had a completed Bible, the first century church had the apostles, right? And so the authority of the church goes, Jesus, he's at the top, right? He's the boss. The authority doesn't go any higher than the Lord Jesus Christ. And just below him were the apostles, right? Now, the book of Acts gives us a list of qualifications for an apostle. And you might hear about apostles that are around today, which are not are biblically authorized apostles because a couple of those um, requirements to be an apostle was you had to be taught by John the Baptist himself and that's really hard to do in 2022 <laughs> you know uh, another one of those is you had to be there and witness the ascended Lord that was another qualification and a lot of people say well Paul didn't witness the ascension of the Lord we don't know that he didn't but also we know that he spent time with the resurrected Christ for a period of time after he was saved. So he does qualify. Uh, and nobody else alive today does. So the authority of apostles, and most of those apostles are scam artists. I've seen them come into churches and take over for the pastor, and they just siphon all that money off for themselves. And they're not stealing it, but that's their fee for working at that church. And they charge more and more and more and people feel like, well, I can't go against the authority of the apostle. The apostle's authority doesn't exist anymore. But instead, what we have in place of the apostle's authority is the, the entire Bible, the canon of Scripture, right? This is instead of the apostles because it is a completed Bible. So we no longer need an apostle. So that's what he's saying here when he says... Um, you may after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. He's talking about the Bible. That even though I'm not here to constantly remind you of the things that are true, I want there to be a written record of all the things that are true uh, about the Lord that you may go and be in remembrance of them by reading it. The Bible. Because he continues here in verse 16 and he says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. And this is an assault directly at the History Channel and the National Discovery Channel. 
National Geographic Channel and the Discovery Channel. The, those, those that say, well, well, you see actually what it was, Pastor. These were campfire stories that they would tell at Old Testament times. And they would stand around and tell these really exotic campfire stories. And they just got really popular until somebody decided to write them down. And that's just what they are. But they're not. There's, there was a lot of campfire stories back then. And you can't tell me that a campfire story that's just a campfire story would have survived as long as the books of Moses did. Those first five books of the Bible, you know how old those books are? They are older than they should be. Okay, and what I mean by that is they should not exist. Because nothing that old still exists anymore. Nothing. It predates history. Did you hear me? The books in these Bibles predates history itself. Before we know what humans were doing on planet Earth, we had Genesis. That's not just a campfire story. That's divinely preserved and divinely inspired. And if you're not, and I'm not, I'm not going to rehash it because we went over the, the, the five major questions of life last week. Right? And the first one was, is there a God? We spent a lot of time talking about how that is just as plausible, scientifically speaking, as anything else. God hasn't scientifically proven himself because he doesn't want to. He doesn't want you to know as a scientific fact that he exists. He wants you to trust him by faith. But it is just as plausible as anything else out there. And we went into great detail about that that I will not rehash. I promise I won't rehash it this morning. I am resisting an urge. Because, I, I, man, I could talk about creation science just for hours. That is, I'll go on my computer and I'll find a new article about something and I'll print it off and put it in a file in there. And I just, I could go on and on and on about it. I just love it, but not going to. <laughs> it's, it's a 10 o'clock hour. It's too early for all of this. We're going to move on. Right? They're not cunningly devised fables, and they're not. It's just because somebody decided they didn't believe them and wanted to look down their nose at them and create a, a National Geographic document about, you know, they didn't actually cross through the Red Sea, they crossed through the Sea of Reeds. Thank you. Doesn't mean, thank you, that it's true. Okay, moving on. It just gets me so mad. It, I just, I get so mad. Uh, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? So this is the Gospels. The power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So his birth, uh, but also his ministry, his time ministering to the uh, people of Israel. Uh, and so forth. And the miracles that he performed. And that, that specific time, so that is the Gospels. That is not just the Old Testament stuff we were referring to before. Now we're dipping into New Testament Gospel stuff. Uh, and he says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Thank you. Now that is a very weird, I'm not pushing the button. That's just people interacting on Facebook. Uh, they were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They were eyewitnesses of uh, Jesus, not just looking like a normal person at that time in that place. He looked like the Son of God a couple of times to his disciples. But that was more than just a man and he looked like more than just a man. Right? One of them 
is the one he's talking about here, which we refer to as the Mount of Transfiguration. And he glowed, and he, his brightness and his glory, he looked like God, because he was God. He is God. And they were eyewitnesses of that that happened. Um, but me saying that about him looking like everybody else during that time of day, that time and place of the world, it made me think of a billboard we were crossing back by from IHOP the other day. And there was a billboard, and it had the picture of Jesus, you know, and it had a scripture above it they were quoting and I looked over to Amanda and I said I don't know who that long haired hippie looking fellow is but I'm glad he's quoting scripture <laughs> you know because that's not what Jesus looked like <laughs> you see these cartoons with the apostles and the, and the Lord and they're all just like white guys that just talk English with no accent whatsoever just like us that's not what they looked like that's not what they sounded like but that's uh, neither here nor there I suppose but I, I like to get the right idea about Jesus you know, uh, he, he wasn't constantly walking around with a little bit of an aura coming off of him all the time. He was just a person. He, you could have bumped into Jesus walking down the street and had no idea you just bumped into God. You know, that's what made it so amazing. They were, but they were eyewitnesses. There were times, most of the time he looked like that, but there was a few occasions where that Shekinah Old Testament glory burst through the Lord. And they got to see it. And he's, he's written it down for us and he shared it with us. And that's what makes the Bible so special. I want to share a couple more verses with you real quick before I'm done. It says in verse 20, it says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. So anybody who says to you, this is what this means to me, is taking it out of context. If it doesn't mean that for everybody... It doesn't mean that for anybody. Right? Now what that means is not that God can't speak to you in a special way through a Bible verse. He absolutely will. But what it means is uh, you can't take one verse and then decide that that means that God wants you to walk down a road uh, you know, covered in glass on your hands and knees because that's what you got out of that verse. That's not how it works. Uh, you might read a scripture that has to do with, you know, lying, and you're dealing with an honesty deal, something in your life during that week, and you've decided, you know what, uh, that's the Lord telling me I need to be honest about this. That's when it applies personally, but that's not of any private interpretation, right? If God is telling somebody to be honest in that passage of scripture, he's telling everybody to be honest in that passage of scripture. If it applies to your life personally, that's fantastic. I love that. But don't think that God means one thing in one verse for you and then another thing in another verse entirely for somebody else. If it means it for you, it means it for everybody. The scriptures are of no private interpretation. And then verse 21 where it says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. The prophecy did come in old time, but it was not by the will of man. In other words, we didn't just decide to write these things down because they sounded good. These are claims the Bible makes about itself. Okay, these aren't things that I came up with. These are things the Bible says for itself. That holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Right? This is a book, book written by men, but under the hand of God. So if you're going to talk about the author of the Bible, the author of the Bible is absolutely God himself. 
And these are the things we need to know. These are, the, these are why we believe what we believe about the Bible. So I am beyond my time. I want to thank everybody so much for watching. Thank everybody who came this morning and to, to join us in person. And we'll be back at... Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit later than I realized. Let's be back at 5 after for the morning service.